When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If your weekend was anything like mine, it was interrupted by a news flash. Donald Trump was claiming his arrest was imminent. In a post online, Trump said this Tuesday was the day the Manhattan district attorney would file charges against him. After months of investigating the former president, not for his behavior during the 2020 election, not for his behavior as a businessman, but for a one-time payment of $130,000 seven years back. This money was meant to keep porn star Stormy Daniels quiet about a sexual encounter she'd allegedly had with Trump years ago. I called up Slate's Dahlia Lithwick to ask, how seriously should I take all this? thinking today, how many times have you or I or someone beloved to the both of us written the sentence, the the walls are closing in on Donald Trump, like the <laughs> it's closing, in, it's coming, you know, the law is finally, like, I just think how many dozens of times have we said, like, you can't get out of this one? <laughs> <laughs> really, quite a lot, quite a lot. Does this weekend feel different? It feels different. I think I want to say not necessarily because of this New York pending indictment, which may or may not be coming on Tuesday, but probably isn't coming on Tuesday because the Trump people had to walk it back already. But like, it feels like we might be getting to some tipping point where there are so many walls closing in in so many different jurisdictions that we're kind of not putting all our eggs in this one basket. When Dahlia says there are so many walls closing in on Trump, it helps to give a sense of scale. He's facing more than a dozen investigations, criminal and civil. There are investigations into Trump's handling of classified documents, investigations into January 6th, investigations into election interference in Georgia. In full disclosure, in one of these cases, the one being handled by the New York State Attorney General, my husband is a lawyer on the state side. We won't discuss anything that's not on the public record. But to Dahlia's point, there are a lot of lawyers looking to hold Donald Trump legally accountable right now. As for the case that caused the former president to go on an all-caps rant this weekend, we don't know much about how it'll play out. All we do know is that Trump seems to be preparing for battle. He ended his post by telling supporters to protest and take our nation back. What's chilling to me is I don't remember until January 6th him aggressively summoning crowds to come fight for him. But now it's the move. It's the move. And in some sense, it's the only move. I worry a little bit that this is going to be the playbook forever after. Hmm. As you said, We don't exactly know what's going to happen this week. We just have these hints. But the case everyone's talking about now is being handled by the Manhattan DA, who's been examining the legality of hush payments. 
that were made to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Was this prosecution, like Stormy Daniels, was this on your 2023 dance card? (laughs) No, I think that the word that was being invoked out of the Manhattan DA's office is that this is the zombie case, right? And it's, it's just lurking there under the surface waiting to be awakened. There is this mystery about what what are the elements of this that make it go from this all but dead sleeper of a case to the thing that may edge out a bunch of other possible prosecutions that will now almost inevitably looks like come in second and third. Today on the show, we're going to unpack this mystery of how a years-old payment to a porn star might lead to the first ever criminal prosecution of a former president. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think it's been a long time since most of us heard the name Stormy Daniels or really thought about the elements of this case. Can you remind us all just what happened here? Like, this is really, you have to go in the way back machine for this one. Right. So much so that there's one of the things that's going to be an impediment technically to this case going forward possibly is the statute of limitations. That's how far back it goes. But the the upshot is uh, that Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former lawyer and fixer, um, pleads guilty in 2018 to, at that time, a whole host of crimes. But one of them is federal campaign finance law violations because he was the guy who was spearheading paying hush money in 2016, right before the election, $130,000 payout to Stormy Daniels, who alleged that she had had an affair with Donald Trump. And this affair was like... 14 years ago, 15 years ago, a long time ago. Yeah. And she had told people for years uh, openly that she'd had an affair with him. And part of what's notable about that is that we'd all found out about the Stormy Daniels allegations before Michael Cohen was, you know, sort of laying all this out with the DOJ. And originally, Michael Cohen was telling people like the Wall Street Journal, this didn't happen. And so it's like he totally flipped his position. He said, you know, no, this is outrageous to like, oh, yeah, I totally I paid her off. Right. And that's one of the weaknesses in addition to the kind of questions about the statute of limitations and the questions about whether, you know, this is a state or federal crime. One of the other huge weaknesses is that Cohen is the star witness and he's not deemed the world's most reliable witness because he wasn't doing the things until 
he was doing the things. And it's never great to put someone like that in front of a jury and have them testify to the ways in which they denied it until they went to jail for it. Alvin Bragg is the new Manhattan DA who would potentially bring these charges. And it's notable that he would be bringing them because there's been so much back and forth about what Bragg is doing with this case and whether there's going to be a case there at all. Can you just tell that story from the beginning? Because I think it's part of what makes this puzzling. I think that part of the problem is Bragg comes on in a highly politicized moment, right? We've got COVID. We're worrying about crime. We're worrying about all this stuff. Welcome back to Inside City Hall. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who began his job at the beginning of the year, was elected on a platform of decriminalization. He's been a man of his word so far, sending out a memo to his office's prosecutors telling them to ask judges to send people to prison for only the most serious offenses, unless the law requires them to do otherwise. But Bragg has now been... The first thing he does is release a memo where he is just asserting that he is going to have different prosecutorial priorities. And this immediately sets him into the column of soft on crime, right? He's coddling criminals. So people go crazy at him. Facing criticism and calls for his resignation, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg changes course. CBS2 political reporter Marsha Kramer says Bragg is telling his staff that his earlier memo on crime was confusing. Someone said it's a real trick in your first weeks in office to have both the New York Post and MSNBC furious with you at the same time. And he manages to do it because at the same time that he is laying out different prosecutorial priorities and incarceration priorities, he's also backing off the Trump prosecution. And this turns into just a spectacular nightmare. The criminal investigation into former President Trump and his business may be falling apart. Today, two top prosecutors on the case resigned from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. They were the ones leading the investigation that started back in 2019. Mark Pomerantz, one of the former prosecutors on the case, Uh, writes this resignation letter that's leaked to the papers that essentially says that the Trump case has, quote, been suspended indefinitely and he's frustrated because he thinks they had a real case and that Bragg is a chicken. So both of these things are happening and poor Bragg is just getting walloped from all sides. And there's some reason to believe there's just no way to know what happens inside his office. But Whatever it is that happened, we do get this huge prosecution of a tax fraud case against the Trump organization that ends up in a conviction, right, in December. Well, Victor, that's right. The jury just returned a verdict guilty, guilty on all counts against both Trump Corporation entities. That means that the jury, after two days of deliberations and four notes today, came back with this decisive verdict, unanimous, guilty on all counts. Now, remember... Trump's chief financial officer, Alan Wieselberg, is indicted. He pleads guilty, right? So this is when I think there starts to be this energy around, okay, we've done this one thing, and Bragg has explicitly said, we needed to get that out of the way in order to be able to do what we need to do on the Stormy Daniels matter. So he's saying it Mm -hmm. had to happen sequentially. But whatever it is, uh, the decision is taken that we're just going to do, now we're going to do Stormy Daniels payment, and we're going to go after this kind of fairly trivial set of misdemeanor offenses of falsifying financial records. 
paying hush money to someone you had sex with seems very gross. But what makes this illegal? Like, why would the Manhattan DA be able to investigate this in the first place? Yeah, no, it's totally okay to pay hush money to people you had sex with. In some ways, Note to it is a way of life for some of us. Um, so that's not the problem. I think the problem was uh, the sort of falsifying of business records. So this is kind of what Wall Street big wigs are investigated for and prosecuted for all the time, which is just falsifying their records. And I think that what Cohen told federal prosecutors he did was he said these checks he received uh, ostensibly as legal fees went onto the books as a legal expense to pay Michael Cohen for his work and that that is, you know, false. And so at the most simple level, this is just, again, bread and butter financial crimes don't say you are getting paid for legal services when you're being reimbursed for what may or may not be a campaign donation. That seems tiny. No, the the misdemeanor is just, yeah, first degree falsifying business records, maximum four years in prison. It's a, a low level thing. And I think that the question is, and this is what people are scratching their heads about is, is there a way to make this a bigger thing? And can you connect it either to campaign uh, violations or can you connect it to tax fraud? Can you connect it to something huge? Because if you do that, either in furtherance of a crime or to hide a crime, then you can vault yourself into felony land. There's been a huge amount of fighting, infighting in the legal journalism world about, you know, is this too tenuous? And what happens if he brings it and he loses? Like, it's going to be horrible. You get all of the momentum, not just blocked, but reverse if you bring what feels like a weak case. And then Charles Blow wrote a piece saying, oh, my God, just get what you can get. Like, get the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> this thing is already... Uh, in some sense, there's nothing new. This is all stuff that Michael Cohen got tagged for, where Donald Trump couldn't be tagged for it because he was sitting president at the time. So tag him! And so I think that one of the things that Donald Trump's thermonuclear response evinces is that he thinks that this is going to be a thermonuclear indictment when it might just be like super small french fried potatoes. After the break, what we do know about what's coming this week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What do we know is happening this week? Like, why do you think Trump would have Tuesday on his mind in the first place? I I think a couple things happened last week. One is we know that Michael Cohen was in there talking. We know that Stormy Daniels, in some way or another, we're not sure exactly who she talked to or what was said, but Stormy Daniels was in there talking. And we know this is important that Donald Trump was invited uh, to come and talk to the grand jury himself, which is by every measure that I understand, you're one yard from from the end zone when you invite uh, the person to come in and talk. And needless to say, he didn't. But so it was clear that, as we've said, this thing that felt like a sleeper until, I don't know, late January suddenly is on fire. And then the thing that was reported Friday, I think by NBC, was that a bunch of different entities in New York were preparing, were having internal conversations about what are we putting in place should an indictment come. The possible indictment of former President Trump has the NYPD, state court officers, Secret Service agents, the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force, and the Manhattan DA's office all making security arrangements. I think this is probably not an uncommon sort of wargaming of when a major indictment comes down, but that was reported, and I think it went from... Maybe something is happening very soon to, oh, something's happening next week. And then where Donald Trump got Tuesday from, I think that this is one of those classic Trump, I'm about to get into trouble, but if I set everything on fire before I get in trouble, then I won't get in trouble. And so I think just claiming Tuesday is a pretty good way of saying, so everybody hit the streets on Tuesday. You know, I I also think once the grand jury votes, it can be days and weeks uh, before they actually sign the document listing the charges. So it's not an automatic thing that the grand jury votes and then there's a perp walk. And it seems to me that the way Trump has been just very, very good at getting ahead of, and we saw this with Mueller and we saw this with the impeachment, is you create the narrative and then you've set the parameters of what the conversation is going to be. And so I think in the midst of a whole bunch of rumbling about could be next week, could be soon, could be, you know, lawyers are coming and going, trying to figure out security questions, I think it makes perfect sense for him to say, hit the streets now. And then there's this huge cataclysmic event that lets him off the hook. Yeah. I mean, Trump is currently running for president in 2024, and he's scheduled to hold a campaign rally in Texas this week. Do you think he's going to be showing up for that campaign rally? Like if you have this kind of sort of Damocles hanging over you, is that what you're doing? I think this is why he ran, right? I mean, in some sense, I don't know what the shield against the sword of Damocles is, but I think this is his amazing superpower is to say, 
I'm running, right? Because there are conventions around how we treat these investigations heading into a political season. And I think, you know, the clock is absolutely ticking, right? That the season starts very, very soon. And to, you know, convene an actual grand jury to bring charges to have a trial, like, it's almost impossible for these things to happen before we're fully in the primary. And so I think that he's not only using this campaign to possibly insulate himself from what's coming. But the act of campaigning means that he's foreshortened the clock. I think that one of the reasons it feels like everybody is just ready to jump in the pool, whether they have an airtight case or not, is because they are just really mindful of the fact that by, what, March, April of 2024... It's over. He's in the clear. It's amazing. I mean, it is amazing that a human being can elude any kind of accountability in so many contexts for so long. And we're still saying, well, this case isn't perfect and this case isn't perfect and this one isn't going to work. Because, look, if January 6th wasn't enough, I I don't know what could ever be enough for this guy. Dahlia Lithwick, thank you so much for joining me, walking me through where we're at. Mary, the walls are closing in. Dahlia Lithwick covers the courts for Slate. She is also the host of the Supreme Court podcast, Amicus. Go check it out. It's really great. All right, that's the show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to join our membership program. It's known as Slate Plus. The way to find out more is to go to slate.com slash whatnextplus. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is a senior director of podcast operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you tomorrow. <laughs> 